We are wrapping up this weekend a series that we've entitled Dangerous Prayers. And there's nothing wrong with, you know, praying, Lord, bless my day, or thank you for this food, or now I lay me down to sleep. But we've been asking the question, what would happen if we prayed some truly dangerous prayers? And uh, this weekend, uh, we want to look really at answering a question that leads to a dangerous prayer. And the question is, what would happen if we prayed for our enemies? I don't know about you, but when I think about my enemies, I don't quickly think about praying for them. And in the midst of Jesus' uh, Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus is teaching, and uh, throughout the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says this phrase several different times. You have heard that it was said, and he quotes the Old Testament law, and then Jesus says, but I'm saying unto you, and it's like Jesus was trying to both help us get to the very depths of what the law really intended, and also to raise the bar on what that really looks like as a follower of Christ, to to live as members of of God's kingdom. And these are Jesus' words for them and for us about our enemies. He says, you've heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemies and even pray for those that persecute you. Pray for our enemies. I don't know about you, but I don't quickly go to loving and praying for my enemies, unless the prayer sounds something like, God, get them, (laughs) right? And yet this is Jesus calling on your life and my life. I wonder for you, who is your enemy? And maybe, maybe you think quickly, well, I don't know. I don't have like any like big arch enemy. Like there's not like a, a joker to my Batman. There's, you know, there's not like, um, you know, Steelers to my Browns or, you know, I mean, real arch enemies, you know, but sometimes the enemies in our life are more subtle. In fact, sometimes the enemies in our life are, are people in our own families. If we were honest, sometimes in, in, the, in the heat of an argument or in a season uh, of difficulty, our, our spouse can feel like the enemy. Or maybe it's our ex. Or, or, or maybe it's your teenager. And you feel like as a parent, like, I, I just can't get through. And they just, they just won't ever hear me out. And it, it starts to feel like your teen is the enemy. Or maybe you're the teen And you're here this morning, and you're like, no, it's my mom and dad. They're the enemy. And it feels like they just don't understand me. They don't know what I'm going through. And even those closest to us in our family can feel like the enemy. Or maybe you haven't hit the teen years yet, and it's your two-year-old, right? (laughs) And and you see your two-year-old walking out of the kitchen with a permanent marker, and and you pray. You pray like, oh, God bless you. (laughs) You know, like, God help me. (laughs) Sometimes even a toddler can feel like the enemy, or maybe it's in your work world, it's a coworker. Maybe it's that, that person that you work with that every day it feels like in the break room, you, you just know that they're, they're over there bad-mouthing you or talking about you. Or maybe it's that um, coworker that sits across the, the, the boardroom table, and every time you bring up one idea, it's like they come up with just the opposite or, or what they think is a, a, a better option, Right? Or maybe it's a boss who always feels like they're out to get you or just waiting for you to fail. 
I don't know who your enemy is, but and, and what do we want to do with the enemies in our life? We don't want to pray. We want to give them the cold shoulder. We want to be passive aggressive. We want to get even. We want revenge. And yet Jesus says, you've heard the law, but I'm saying to you, love your enemies and pray for even those that persecute you. And Jesus, it's not like Jesus didn't know what he was talking about here. You see, Jesus, he had enemies as well. You read throughout the Gospels, the story really of Jesus' life, John 1.11, his own people rejected his message and turned away from him. In John 8.6, the religious leaders of the day, they mocked Jesus. They continually tried to trap Jesus and have him arrested. Mark 3.21, Jesus' own family was ashamed of him at times and tried to make him stop preaching. Uh, in Mark 14, 50, we read that Jesus' friends, the disciples, they deserted him in his worst moment. How did that feel? And in Mark 15, 13, we're reminded that as Jesus was paraded into the city of Jerusalem on the back of a donkey, and, and man, people were cheering him on and saying, Hosanna, which means God save us. God, the Savior is here. Only a few days later, many of those same people were crying and yelling, crucify him. So Jesus, when he says love and pray for enemies, Jesus knows something about that. And so, so what, is, what is he really saying to us? And what does this really look like in our lives today? So I want us to go back to Jesus' words. And remember, he said, you have heard that it has been said. He's referring to an Old Testament law that we'll look at in a moment. And that law that said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now, when we look at this Old Testament passage, in God's word never said to hate your enemy. In fact, that was something that the people of the day had tacked on to the law, which is what many religious leaders of the day did. They, they would just add on their interpretation of the law and just say, well, yeah, that's, that's what God wants. The, the law is found in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. It says, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. And remember, Jesus had just quoted that, but then it just says, I am the Lord. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's all that the law had said. Well, the, the people of the day, they had taken that to mean, um, well, my neighbor is like my fellow Israelite, you know, the people that worship God with me. And, and everybody else was kind of excluded. In fact, one Bible commentator uh, says this, practically the duty of love was restricted to a narrow circle and the rest of the wide world left out in the cold. But not only was the circumference of love's circle drawn in, but to hate an enemy was elevated almost into a duty. That's why Jesus says, I know what the law says, love your enemy and, and uh, or love your neighbor and hate your enemy. He's quoting it because they thought it was law and that they had somehow permission from God himself, not just to love neighbors, but to hate those that weren't their neighbors. And the question of the day was then, who's my neighbor? In fact, that question was still being asked in the days of Jesus when he comes onto the scene. In the Gospels, we read a story about this righteous religious guy who comes to Jesus, and he says, Jesus, what do I, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, well, what does the law say? Because he knew that this religious guy knew the law. 
So the guy responds. He says, well, the law says, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, you're exactly right. And then there's this interesting phrase in the New Testament, and it says this righteous religious man seeking to justify himself then asked the question, who is my neighbor? See, this is what what religion and what rules do. We want to know the, the very specific so that we can, you know, toe the line, you know, do the, do, the, do the least possible to stay right with God, which also then gives us the freedom to do what, in our mind, whatever else we want to do in all the other areas that haven't been clearly enunciated, right? We look for loopholes, and that's what was happening in the day. And they were saying, well, I, I just have to love my neighbor and my neighbor. Well, isn't that just my fellow Israelites? Well, it's interesting when that righteous religious man asked Jesus that question, Jesus goes on to tell the story of the Good Samaritan, which many of us may know. And the Samaritans were like the looked down upon most group of all. And Jesus tells a story about a man that was uh, robbed and left for dead alongside of the road. And this person came along and helped him. The only one that helped him was a Samaritan. And then Jesus asked the question, so who do you think was the real neighbor? And the righteous religious man says, I guess it's that Samaritan. And then Jesus said, go and do likewise. In essence, Jesus was saying, it doesn't matter who it is or who you are. We're called to love people, everybody. And to even love our enemies and to even pray for our enemies. So you can see in that day, things had gotten so twisted and so off course that The people of that day, and honestly, us today sitting here, we need a a good reason for why we are to love and pray for our enemies. And I think in the passage, Jesus gives us two compelling reasons. The first one is because God gives grace to everyone. Look at what Jesus said. In that way, in what way? When you love your enemies and pray for those even that persecute you, he says, in that way, You will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For he, God, gives his sunlight both to the evil and to the good. And he sends his rain on the just and the unjust. In other words, God shows love and grace to everybody. And this was a super agricultural society. And so when Jesus says the sun and the rain, God gives it to everybody, that was super, super significant. Because in an agricultural society, your livelihood was utterly dependent upon the weather. (laughs) And what Jesus was saying is that when God gives his sunlight and gives his rain, he doesn't just pick out the good people, the righteous people, and give them some sunshine and give them a little water for their crops through rain. No, Jesus says God gives it to everybody, even the unrighteous, even the evil, receive God's grace, common grace, the sunlight and the rain to grow their crops as well. God gives grace to everyone, and God gives grace to you and I. You know, one of the main reasons we ought to love and even pray for our enemies is because At one time, we were enemies with God himself as well. 
Paul writes about this in Romans chapter 5. He says, For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of His Son while we were still His enemies. You know, we are born, as sweet as the the little ones were that were up here, we are all born with a, a tendency towards self, with a sin nature, which automatically makes us enemies of God because we want to go about our life doing our thing, right? And what Paul says here in these verses is that when we were still enemies of God, wanting to go our own way, do our own thing, it says, we will certainly be saved through the life of His Son, through the life and through the death of Jesus the Christ. That when Jesus, when Jesus went to the cross, before you and I were even born, He looked down the corridor of time and He knew that Todd Nielsen would just want to do his own thing. And that by nature, I was an enemy of God. God looked down the corridor of time and when He sent Jesus to die on the cross, He sent him to die on the cross for me, for my sins, for all my mistakes, for all of my mess. While I was still an enemy, God still loved me. And he still loved you. And he offered grace, even when we were enemies. That's a reason to pray for our enemies and to love our enemies, because God gives grace to everybody. The second reason is because it shows that we are different. This is why this is a, a, a dangerous prayer to love and pray for our enemies because it shows that we are different, dangerously different, dangerously different in the best of ways. He says, in that way, you'll be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. The, the word there is you'll be showing yourself as legitimate, legitimate children of your Father in heaven. You know, the, the, the DNA test or the, the paternity test of a true child of God is not our beliefs, our value statement, our church attendance. It's how we love. God's Word says, they will know that you are Christians by your love. Specifically, our love even for our enemies for those that hate us, for those that may persecute us. Jesus says, this is what makes you different. You want to stand out in our world? Love and pray for our enemies. I love how the King James Version really gives us a fuller picture of what Jesus was saying here. It says, if you you love those uh, who only, uh, excuse me, if you love those who love you, What reward is there for that? Even tax collectors do that much. If you are kind only to your friends, he says, how are you different from anyone else? He says, even the pagans do that. But you are to be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. That word perfect means complete or mature, set apart. He says, this is what's going to make the difference. This is what people are going to turn and notice about a Christ follower's life is their love and prayers on behalf of even their enemies. He says, listen, the, tax cor- the, the corrupt tax collectors, which, by the way, pretty much all the tax collectors of the day were corrupt. Everybody hated the tax collectors because they were, you, they were taking over the system. They were robbing people. They were lining their pockets with extra tax money for themselves. 
the tax collectors, he says, and the pagans. That was the looked down upon most group of people as well. People that didn't give a rip about God. And they were so judged by the religious society of the day. And Jesus picks on these two groups, the, the corrupt tax collectors and the pagans. And he says, listen, if you just love those that love you and you're just kind to those that are kind to you, you're no better than the people that you think are the worst of the worst. Isn't that crazy? Jesus was calling the religious leaders out and he was raising the bar for all those that would claim Jesus Christ as their Savior. Saying everybody loves the people that love them back. The calling of a Christ follower is to love those that hate you and to pray for even your enemies. This is what sets you apart. This is what makes you different. So the question then remains, what is it that we are supposed to pray for our enemies? What are these dangerous prayers for our enemies? And I see three that come right out of Jesus' teaching and Jesus' life. The first prayer, the first dangerous prayer for our enemies is God bless them. And remember, not, not like the, the two-year-old walking out, oh, God bless you. Look at what the King James Version says, but I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you. Bless them that curse you. The people that call you names and want the worst for your life Jesus says, don't curse them back, bless them instead. The, the, the word bless there is the word that we get our English word eulogy from. You know what a eulogy is? Or to eulogize someone, it's, it's when there's a, a funeral, a memorial service, and somebody has passed, and some people get up and they, they speak well of that person because of all that they meant to them and all that they did and all that they were. And when Jesus says, bless those that curse you, he says, eulogize. <laughs> eulogize those that, that persecute you and hurt you and say all kinds of false things about you. Speak well of them. Speak well of them to others. Look for the best in them and speak well of them to God himself. Ask that God would bless your enemies. Like that, you guys, that is dangerous. <laughs> That's no, now I lay me down to sleep prayer. That's no, oh, thank you for this food, Lord. That is a dangerous prayer. I love what Paul does here in Romans. He, 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 he says, bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Instead, pray that God will bless them. I don't know about you, but I think, man, if I were to pray that God would bless my enemies, the danger is God might actually bless my enemies. And that's going to tick me off. <laughs> like, no, that seems unfair. Like, why would God show kindness and love and extend mercy to the people that, that, are, that are my enemies? That wouldn't be fair, would it? <laughs> but that's just the point. God's grace is, it's not fair. I mean, you guys, if God was fair, if God was fair, I would be doomed. If God gave us what, what we really have coming to us, I'm so glad that God's not fair. I'm so glad that God is gracious. I'm so gl glad that God loves his enemies. <laughs> 
bless those who persecute. God bless them. Secondly, I love how, how this commentator says it. We cannot hate a man if we pray for him, and we cannot pray for him if we hate him. This is why loving and praying for our enemies goes hand in hand together. He says, our weakness often feels it so hard not to hate our enemies that our only way to get strength to keep this highest and hardest commandment to love our enemies, he says, is to begin by trying to pray for the foe. And then, he says, we, uh, we feel the infernal fires dying down in our temper and come to be able to meet his evil with good and his curse with blessing. Pray for our enemies. God, bless them. Second dangerous prayer is, God, help me to serve them. Okay, now we're going over the top, aren't we? Like that, Jesus, come on now. Okay, I can pray for them silently, you know, at night before I go to bed for this enemy of mine, but serve them? No. That's what Jesus calls us to do. He says, but I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, and do good to those that hate you. You guys, we cannot, we're not going to do this in our own strength. We're not going to want to do this in our own mind and will. This is why it takes a, a vibrant walk with Jesus every single day so that he helps us do the things that we cannot do in and of ourselves. And, and Jesus is calling us not to just pray, God, oh, bless my enemies, but God, give me an opportunity to do good to my enemies, to serve them. Uh, Paul, in, in Romans chapter 12, he quotes both out of the Old Testament law in Leviticus and then also out of the book of Proverbs here. He says, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they're thirsty, give them something to eat, uh, give them something to drink. In doing this, now here's the part that I like, in doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. I'm like, okay, now we're talking about, that's the kind of prayers I'm talking about for my enemies, Right? But this is, this is like a, a redemptive revenge. God's word says, listen, when your enemy's hungry, give them food. When they're thirsty, give them something to drink because you're going to get redemptive revenge. A revenge that leads them to Jesus. A, a, a revenge where we take the high road instead of getting down in the mud with our enemies. He says, don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. You guys, following Jesus is not for the faint of heart. Jesus is calling us to a, a higher road to be different from everybody else. And when everybody else just wants revenge or to speak poorly of their enemies, he's calling Christ followers out to say, no, speak well of your enemies, pray for them, pray that God would bless them, and look for opportunities even to serve your enemy. Wow. A couple weeks ago, I read a story uh, when Hubert Humphrey, was, who was one of our vice presidents, had passed away, as was custom, all the other presidents would always be invited to a presidential funeral. Except for Hubert Humphrey's uh, funeral, one particular past president was not invited, Richard Nixon. Richard Nixon had, had dragged the United States of America 
through the mud, through the Watergate scandal. We had a blemish on us as a country, and certainly he had a blemish on himself. And Jimmy Carter, who was also one of our presidents, by the way, uh, of an opposing political party to Richard Nixon, uh, was walking into the funeral service and out of the corner of his eye noticed that Richard Nixon was there, even though uninvited, and he was just standing at the back, probably ashamed, but he wanted to be there. And it, Newsweek caught this, and R Jimmy Carter turned around, and he walked to the back corner of the room where Richard Nixon was. And, I mean, people were on pins and needles. What's going to happen? Is he booting him out? Is he saying, you've got no place here? And, and, and Newsweek caught exactly what he said, and Jimmy Carter approached Richard Nixon and said, well, welcome home, Mr. President. Welcome home. And Newsweek said it was a turning point for our nation in, in moving away from the Watergate scandal, and it was a turning point in how people viewed Richard Nixon because one person showed kindness. One person extended grace because they knew what grace really was. That's dangerous. God bless my enemies, and God even helped me to serve my enemy. And there's one more prayer. And this is perhaps the most dangerous prayer of all. God, forgive my enemies. These were Jesus' words. This, this was one of Jesus' last prayers. As, as men took Jesus to a cross, and literally as his hands and feet were being driven into the wood with gigantic spikes, Jesus uttered these words, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. You see, Jesus never asks us to do anything that he did not first do himself. This is what makes Jesus a leader above all other leaders. And Jesus, when he went to the cross, uh, taking the sin and the shame of us as his enemies and all humanity, the very people that were persecuting and crucifying him, Jesus says, Lord, forgive them. And I know Jesus said, you know, for they know, know not what they're doing. And I, I understand the bigger theological context here. And yeah, they didn't, they didn't get it or they didn't believe or accept that he really was God in the flesh and that he was the Messiah, the Savior of the world. Uh, but, but man, they knew that Jesus was innocent. They knew that the trial leading up to this was a joke. And they did know better. And that they killed him anyway. And in the midst of his dying breaths, Jesus says, forgive them. This is probably the most dangerous prayers, especially when it comes to our enemies, because we don't even know how we'd live if we were really free from unforgiveness and bitterness and rage. 
Probably there's stuff in your life, things that people have done, said, things that you've held over them. And, and if we're honest, we like holding it over them. And yet they're not the ones that are locked up because of it. We are. I wonder who your enemy is. I remember I was in the midst of university and it was in a New Testament Bible class and our professor shared these words of Jesus from the cross and he led us through the study of the Gospels where Jesus says, love and pray for your enemies. Forgive those as I've forgiven you. And it was in the midst of my college days that I learned that my baby sister Sarah, who's 12 years younger than me, had been being sexually molested by my other sister's boyfriend. And I just wanted to come home from college, and I just wanted to crush him. And I didn't know what to do with my anger, my resentment. And I remember going up to my professor after class that day, and I said, how? How can I forgive that? And he said, Todd, when Jesus went to the cross, do you believe that Jesus took your sins and paid for all of your mistakes so that you could find freedom and hope? I said, yes, of course I believe that. And then he said, well, he didn't just take your sins there. He took your enemy's sins as well. And this is why, this is why Jesus says we can, that it's possible to love our enemies, to pray for our enemies, to ask that God would even bless our enemies, to, to actually step up and show kindness and serve our enemies, and even, yes, even forgive our enemies. And so here's what I want us to do as we close our time together today. In the worship programs that you received when you came in, there should be a couple index cards, and there's two of them in each, each folder so that you can share one with a neighbor, you can write multiple names down. I just want you to write down the name of an enemy. Whoever you've been thinking about as this time has gone on, that you, you're like, man. After I talked to my professor that day, I went back to my dorm room, and it took me some time but I finally came to a place where I released my sister's molester to both the justice but and the mercy of Jesus. And so today I'm not angry, I'm not mad. Today I'm free because I don't have to make that person pay. Jesus already paid it all even for our enemies. And so what we're going to do is Meg's going to lead us in a closing song of worship. And as we sing, I'm going to invite you to come forward if you'd like to do that and to bring the name of that enemy on that card and to just place it in one of these baskets. It'll be a symbol today of our releasing that enemy to the cross of Jesus.
so that we can be free to love, to pray for, to ask God, bless them, help me serve them. And God, today, I ask that you would forgive them. And so as we come, we're going to use these two main rows. And all of you over here, you're going to come down this row, and you're going to go to the right, and you'll place your cards in the baskets, and then just go back along the wall and be seated. And all of you over here, you guys are going to come down this main row, and you'll go to the basket, and then you can just go along, along, the, along the wall there and return to your seat. And all of you guys, I want you to come to this side, and I want you to come down to this basket, and then you'll be able to return to your seats this way. Does that make sense? You don't have to do this. But as we worship and as we sing, if you have an enemy that you know you haven't loved and you certainly haven't prayed for, maybe it's time to bring them to the cross where Jesus paid it all. Come when you're ready. song we could ever sing Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe We live for you We live for you Jesus and the only one who could ever say Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe We live for you Oh, we live for you Holy, there's no one like you There's none beside you just put the lyrics of that last phrase, just go back one. 
and show me who you are and fill me with your heart because our heart does not have it in us to really do this, to really live this out. Show me who you are. Fill me with your heart, God, and then lead me. Lead me in your love, in your grace, in your forgiveness to all those around me. My friends, my family, even my enemy. That would be incredibly dangerous in the best of ways. So God, empower us. God, help us to live out Jesus' words, to love and pray for our enemies. As you go today on your way out, our greeting team will have a little card for you. And it's just an invitation to our next series that kicks off next weekend where we're going to dive into the book of Colossians together week by week, chapter by chapter. And on the back, uh, there's a reading plan. And what we want to encourage you to do this week, all week long, that we would spend time just reading Colossians chapter 1. And what would happen, wow, if we were all digging into the truth of God's Word all week long in this one powerful chapter about the sufficiency and the, the supremacy of Jesus Christ. And then next Sunday, we came together and we celebrate and we remember and we, we dive in to what we've already been studying all week long. A friend of mine, Doug Masson, used to say, uh, per, corporate worship on the weekend should just be the icing on the cake of the bake, uh, the cake that we've baked all week long with our own private time with God. So this week, Colossians chapter 1, take it as you go, invite a friend, join us next weekend as we kick off that series. God, thank you for your grace, thank you for your faithfulness. We go in your name asking for your strength and your power, amen.